I have to catch my breath a little bit. It's one of my favorite songs. And I was singing loudly. <laughs> it's good to be here this morning. Uh, it's uh, always um, a blessing to be able to come together on the first day of the week and to join our voices together in song. It's such an uplifting time that we can be together as, as God's children. Appreciate everyone being here and coming together on the first day of the week that we might worship our God. Uh, today is Mother's Day. It's a day that uh, our nation has set aside to, to honor mothers. I think it started about 1914, I think, if uh, memory serves. Is that about right, Russ? I think about 1914. Um, I like to appear smart every now and then. Um, but our mothers are indeed important to us. And uh, I, I, this lesson this morning is not going to be on motherhood. Um, Larry did a good job this morning in our class uh, speaking about mothers, but I will take a moment to, to plug this evening service, because this evening service we're going to talk about Proverbs 31. In Proverbs 31, we have the description there of the virtuous woman, so I encourage you to come back and, and hear that as we look at God's Word and, and what the proverb writer there uh, says about uh, the good wife, the good mother, so... This morning I wanted to talk about something a little bit different. Um, speaking of being smart, and all those that are smarter than me, and that's a, that's a long list. Someone said one time that um, to err is human. What does that mean? Well, that means that as humans, we're going to make mistakes. That's just kind of part of being human. And we're going to make mistakes. Um, one thing to understand, though, that mistakes are an important part of the learning process. We all know this. We've all been through this. We make mistakes as we're younger. We make a lot of them, don't we? And as we get older, we hope we make fewer and fewer. But we still make mistakes, and this is a part of the learning process. And we will grow if we learn from our mistakes, if we understand that, indeed, we are going to make these mistakes, and, um, and they're going to set us back. But if we grow from that, then, then that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We, we can learn from our mistakes. Um, but we also learn from the mistakes of others. And that's really what I want to focus on uh, this morning. And the title of our lesson is indeed Learning from the Mistakes of Others. So as we look at um, Scripture uh, and see that there's a lot of mistakes that are recorded in Scripture, and we're going to talk about why that is as we go along. One thing I want to start here with is something out of scripture, but this will make our point for us. We've heard of the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board. You've probably all heard about uh, this board. This comes off their website. It says that the National Transportation Safety Board is an independent federal agency charged by Congress with investigating every civil aviation accident in the United States and significant ac accidents in other modes of transportation, railroad, highway, marine, and pipeline. And why do they do this? Well, the NTSB determines the probable cause of the accidents and issues safety recommendations aimed at preventing future accidents. So we've seen this before, a plane crashes, the NTSB comes in, and they sift through all the wreckage and everything and the data, the black boxes, and they're doing that so that they can learn what happened. And more importantly than that, so that they can prevent something like this happening in the future. And as a result, 
you know, uh, aviation is very safe in this country. Uh, we, we understand and, and hear that, that it's much safer to fly than it is to drive. And there's a lot of study and a lot of uh, uh, resources have been allocated in the prevention of future accidents, and that's what this is all about. So this goes along with what we're talking about here. And so it would be foolish for us not to learn from mistakes, ours or others, right? We definitely learn from our mistakes, and we can learn from the mistakes of others as well. Uh, someone else, also smarter than me, said that too. Um, those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. That's come up in our discussions in the past here in Bible studies and elsewhere, but if we don't learn from the things in history, then, then we're apt and doomed to repeat those same mistakes. So let's talk about some uh, mistakes that we can avoid. And so, like I mentioned at the beginning, there's lots of mistakes recorded in the Bible. Um, we're going to break it down to just a few very general categories for the sake of time. Um, but we can see kind of the, the mistakes that people have done in the past kind of fall into one of these, two, one of these three categories or, or some combination thereof. But one big category is doubting God. Look with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. Here we know the, the title gives it away, Exodus. This is the children of Israel. They're coming out of the land of Egypt, and they're passing through the wilderness, and they're going to eventually wind up in the land of Canaan, the promised land. By the time we get to chapter 17, uh, the children of Israel already started grumbling against God. They've already grumbled and said, what are we going to eat? Did you bring us out here for us to starve to death? And so God has already provided for them uh, manna and meat. And he's also provided for them uh, water already back there in chapter 15, um, where there was a bitter um, pool of water and, and the, the tree was cast in it and the waters were made sweet so that they could drink from them. So God's already providing for his children in these miraculous ways. We get to chapter 17, and we know the story here about um, uh, the water from the rock. Chapter 17, beginning of verse 1. It says, Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with these people? A little more, and they will stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people, and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff in which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there at the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of all the elders, and he named the place uh, Massa and Meribah, because of the quarrels of the sons of Israel, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? There's a big um, mistake in doubting God. And that's going to come back to, God is providing for them at this point, but there's going to come a time when he's going to get tired of this. 
and he's going to chastise them for what they're doing. But they are doubting God. God had promised them that they would pass through, um, come out of bondage, and go into the land of, uh, of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the promise that he had made all the way back to Abraham. But here they are doubting God. And that's a dangerous thing when we doubt God. It's going to come to its head when we get to Numbers chapter 13 and 14, when the spies are sent into the land, and they come back with a bad report, and God says, okay, your corpses are going to fall in this wilderness. You have doubted me long enough. You have grumbled against me long enough. And there's going to be consequences for what you're doing. So it's a dangerous thing doubt God. Very closely related to that, um, it's not a good idea to disobey God. Look with me over in Ezekiel chapter 5. <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 5. Here is Ezekiel the prophet. He is prophesying about the coming destruction of Jerusalem. Here in chapter 5, the Lord speaking to Ezekiel, says, As for you, son of man, take a sharp sword. This is Ezekiel 5, beginning verse 1. Take and use it as a barber's razor on your head and beard. Then take scales for weighing and divide the hair. One-third you shall burn in the fire of the center of the city. When the days of the siege are completed, then you shall take a third of it and strike it with the sword all around the city. And one-third you shall scatter to the wind, and I will unsheathe a sword behind them. Um, take also a few in number from them and bind them in the edges of your robes and take again some of them now and throw them in the fire and burn them in the fire. From it a fire will spread to all the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her at the center of the nations with lands around her, but she has rebelled against my ordinances more wickedly than the nations and against my statutes more than the lands which surround her. For they have rejected my ordinances and have not walked in my statutes. So here is uh, a clear example of the dangers of disobeying God. And we know what's going to happen. There's going to be a destruction of Jerusalem that's going to happen. Ezekiel is warning them. He tells him to shave off his beard and divide it up into thirds. He'll go on here to talk about how that's symbolic of the way the people are going to be divided up. Some are going to be uh, by famine. Some are going to die by the sword. And the other third are going to be scattered to the wind. So there's a real problem in disobeying God. We know the examples also we use often about Uzzah with the ark, the cart that was carrying the ark, and Nadab and Abihu when they offered strange fire. Disobeying God is a mistake, and we can avoid that mistake. We have example after example of people disobeying God and the consequences that are there. One other mistake that we can avoid, and that is reliance on man's wisdom. Look with me back in 1 Kings chapter 12. <clears throat> 1 Kings chapter 12. Here in history, this is after um, Solomon has turned from God, and God says, because you have done this, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you. And he's going to divide it up. And this is shortly thereafter. And the events here with Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Jeroboam is going to be the king in, in Israel, the northern parts, the northern tribes, and, and Rehoboam is going to be the king in Judah, which is going to be the southern part of the kingdom. 
But here in 1 Kings 12, beginning of verse 6, it says, And King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, How do you counsel me to the answer of the people? Then they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to this people today, will serve them, grant their petition, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the elders which they had given him and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. So he said to them, What do you counsel to give me that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? And the young men who grew up with them spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall say to the people who spoke to you, saying, Your father made the yoke heavy, now you make it lighter for us. But you shall speak to them, saying, My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Because of this, because uh, here Rehoboam is going to rely on what these young men have told him, this is going to be the catalyst that's going to divide the kingdom. God's already said that this is going to happen, but this is the, the circumstances under which it actually happens. Jeroboam comes there the, with the children of Israel, and they say, we don't have any part of this. We're going to leave. And so there's the splitting of the kingdom that happens right here. All because the, the catalyst that's happening here is because Rehoboam is relying on the wisdom of men rather than the wisdom of God. These are some mistakes that we can avoid. So why were these things written? Why is there so much in Scripture about the mistakes of others? Well, we can understand that they're written so that we can learn from them. We have example after example of the mistakes that are made, and they're there so that we can learn from them, so that we don't make the same mistakes, so that we can learn from other people's mistakes. Look with me over in 1 Corinthians 10. We're doing a lot of reading this morning. I appreciate your patience in this. If, if you've known me for any length of time, you know I like to do a lot of reading from Scripture. Uh, I like for the Word of God to, to speak through and understand that these are His words, not mine. But here in 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 1, says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Here's the Apostle Paul talking about these very events that we've looked at. When they're coming out of, the, uh, out of bondage in Egypt, and they're passing through the wilderness, and these things that are happening, happening to them. And Paul's going to give us the reason why these things? The reason that we're talking about right here. Verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happen as examples for us, that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. And do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat um, and stood up to, to play. Now let us act, uh, nor let us act immorally, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We're at the end of, those of the ages. 
we benefit from having the complete revealed Word of God. Not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament, too. In the time of Paul's writing, they, these people didn't have the New Testament, right? These were, they had the gospel that had been preached to them by word of mouth, and they had these letters that had started going back and forth. We benefit from having the complete revealed Word of God, and these things were written as an example so that we wouldn't make the same mistakes. There's also the concept here that we want to spend the remainder of our time thinking about, and that is that we can be perfected in Christ. Paul is making that point here, and he's going to make it again uh, in other places, and we're going to look in Hebrews here and really talk about this perfection. But the examples of these people failing and their mistakes give us the, the, the example of what not to do. And they show us that we can be perfected in Christ. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, beginning of verse 11. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies became a footstool to his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified." Through Jesus Christ's offering, what he did, and the sacrifice that he made, he has made us perfect. Look also over in chapter 12. We, we read this this morning in our, as our scripture reading. But let's read it again with this, this in, our, in our mind, in this context. Chapter 12, beginning of verse 22 of Hebrews. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriads of angels, to the general assembly, and church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator in the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. The word perfect appears some 13 times in the book of Hebrews. What do you think the Hebrew writer is trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us that we can be perfected in Christ. That all these examples of the people who have made the mistakes, we are to learn from those things so that we can be perfected in Christ Jesus. But it takes some action on our part. The key there we read from chapter 10 about those who are sanctified. Let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about, instead of the mistakes that others have made, let's talk about this in terms of goals that we can achieve. And we first, the first is a belief and a trust in God. Sounds simple enough, and it is. It's very simple. In John chapter 20, this is a, a familiar passage to us. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. John says, Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. We have to have a belief and a trust in God. 
And John here is saying that the very reason that he is writing this gospel is so that you can believe in Jesus Christ. Interesting word search here in, in the book of John. If you do, if you just type in believe and do a word search, it appears over 80 times in John's gospel. What do you think the message John was trying to get across? That you might believe. That's where our faith in God begins. It's believing. Believing that he is. Understanding that what comes next is, is, is logical and understanding that we have to obey Jesus. Also in John, in chapter 14, Jesus speaks about this. He says there in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Very simple terminology there, isn't it? No one comes to the Father except through me. He goes on to say in verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For now, uh, From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words which I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding me does his words. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I shall do, uh, he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. And the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my Father's name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, Jesus is telling Philip here, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the exact representation of the Father in heaven. And because you have seen me, you have seen him. And what does he say here at, in verse 15? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We have to obey what Jesus says. I know it sounds simple, and it is. Belief and obeying. These are goals that will help us achieve that perfection that we're looking for. We also have to understand that we've got to follow his traditions. Look with me over in 2 Thessalonians. <clears throat> we mentioned in our example about following the uh, the wisdom of men, when, when Rehoboam consults with his, uh, the older men told him that he should keep things kind of status quo. The younger men said, no, you've got to add more burden to them. Let them know who's, who's in, in control here. Let them know that, I'm, that you're stronger than your father. Look what Paul tells the Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 2, beginning verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith and truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or letter by us. Paul's telling Thessalonians, they need to hold to the traditions that we're teaching you. You hold to the things that we're telling you and that we're writing to you. 
And that holds true for us. We've got to believe the gospel. We've got to believe that the, the words that we hold here are the word of God. And hold to that and follow the traditions that God has set up. And not rely on the wisdom of man. And these goals that we can achieve put us on our way to perfection. Our theme this year, uh, we've kind of focused our, some of our lessons and some of our teachings this, this year on confidently approaching the throne of grace. We, we want to have that confidence that the Hebrew writers talks about to be able to stand in the presence of God and be confident in that. So this helps us to understand that we're on our way to that. If we can be perfect. Let's see what scripture has to say about it. In Matthew 5 and verse 48, Jesus says, Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What does that tell us? What does that convey to us? It conveys to us that there's something out there that we need to, to set our sights on. That is to be perfect. Now, what about this word? What does perfect mean? Well, the, the, the Greek word that's being uh, translated here is perfect. The Greek word itself means brought to its end or finished, wanting nothing necessary to completeness. It means there's nothing, there's nothing lacking in the completeness. It means full-grown, adult, of full age, mature. And this idea of completeness, full-grown, Mature helps us to understand perfection a little bit more, doesn't it? What we can know is perfection doesn't mean sinless. We're all going to sin. First John talks about that, about, about if you think you don't have sin, you're a liar. But he says there in chapter 2 and verse 1, I'm writing to you so that you may not sin. So there's always... Uh, a hope that we can keep on maturing so that we don't sin. But that doesn't really speak to perfection. Perfection means a completeness. It means that we're mature, of full age, that we're grown. And before you think that we can't be perfect, I'll remind you what Jesus said. You are to be perfect. And then, well, we say, well, okay, well, perfect doesn't really mean, um, you know, I have to be flawless. And we just said that we don't have to be flawless. There's a provision for sin that's, that's been made, and that is through the blood of our, our Lord Jesus Christ. But it does mean that we need to be complete. It does need to be, we need to be mature of full age. So before we start trying to diminish what perfect means and try to, you know, skirt around it by saying, well, you know, perfect doesn't really mean perfect. Think about the second part of this verse. As your heavenly Father is perfect. So anything you try to take away from you being perfect, you're going to take away from your heavenly Father being perfect. I want to talk about perfection in Jesus Christ as we close. Now remind us again of what is said there in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So then the question comes down to then, are you sanctified? Sanctified means set apart. 
We talked about what does that mean? What does it mean to be set apart? It means that we obey God. It means that we trust in God. It means that we do what he says. By that, we're set apart from the world. And by that, we are perfected. Along with the, the precious blood and the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Without that, we don't have a chance at perfection. But with it, we do. So we can learn from the mistakes of others. Scripture is filled with it. I think about uh, the Apostle Paul. In his life, we see a, uh, a transition, don't we? We see a zealous man, but he was steeped in the traditions of the Pharisees. We see him change over time, don't we? Especially on the road to Damascus. And he uses that zeal then to spread the gospel. And we talk often about how Paul is always looking forward. He's always focused on where he's going and counting those things behind him as just a past rubbish, things I've left behind. We have the benefit of a little bit of insight into Paul as he's in the very last of his life in 2 Timothy 2, verse, uh, I beg your pardon, 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. It's such a wonderful thing that we benefit from, from seeing Paul's insight at the end of his life. And what does he say? Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. We want to be able to say that. We want to have that same kind of uh, hindsight on the life that we have led. Are we doing that? Are we fighting the good fight? Are we finishing the course? Are we keeping the faith? Paul says in verse 8, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But not only him, not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The same crown of righteousness is set aside for each one of us if we are faithful to God till our last day. Are you sanctified? Have you put on Christ? Have you been baptized into the Lord? If not, I encourage you to do so. And if as a child of God, you're lacking the confidence that you need to stand before him. You're lacking perfection. I implore you, seek after those things that will perfect you. Obeying God, trusting in him, relying on his wisdom. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.